Okay, we're back on YouTube. We're doing it via Zoom. Ted Robinson, I'm Yogi Roth, Ted and Yogi's Pactual Adventure. Ted, good morning again from our homes. How are you doing? Well, Yogi, we're what's this about day, uh, well, it's day eight or nine since we had the formal stay-at-home issued, but it's almost two weeks on now since uh, the last events. And I, I mean, look, you, you, you have Zane and, and you have your beautiful wife who's, who's carrying your next child. And we've had two grandkids scurrying around our house all weekend long. And it's been the most wonderful, you know, and I, I hate to use the word because I know it could get misinterpreted, distraction. And I think it's a distraction for them as well, for the kids as well, Dad, but to have just this, this, this new way of life around us. And uh, so, yeah, we're all going a little stir crazy. <laughs> and that's why we do this. Yeah, agreed with that. And speaking of this, make sure you go to Ted's YouTube channel, check out these podcasts, check out my YouTube channels for past podcast conversations. But we're trying to make sure that the content kind of goes everywhere. And of course, we're posting it on our respective Facebook, social media, Twitter, LinkedIn handles. So check them out. Um, so Ted, we usually talk football, but um, you've been doing the Olympics for a really long time. I have been hearing your voice doing them prior to when we even met. The news broke. Um, I think it was late last night that the Olympics are going to be postponed. Take us through your reactions. And of course, as talent, as one of the main voices, how do you hear about this and take us inside your inner world? Yeah, well, okay. So you know, let's go back and forth. Otherwise, I could ramble on this for a half hour. I don't want to do that to all of you uh, that are taking the time to listen slash watch. But the, the word that crept up over the last four or five days was inevitable. This decision was inevitable. Uh, and eventually the lead was taken by USA Swimming, the National Federation, USA Swimming, based in Colorado Springs. They sent a letter out last Friday, uh, put it out publicly, but they sent it to the U.S. Olympic Committee, the USOC, urging the USOC to carry the water to postpone the games. Uh, the next, I think within, within 24 hours, USA Track and Field joined. So now you have the two you know, the two most significant governing bodies of Olympic summer sports in America that are joined forces saying, hey, we can't do this. Eventually, by Sunday, the Prime Minister of Canada, Trudeau, announced that Canada's athletes would not be allowed to go. The Prime Minister of Australia, Scott Morrison, Sunday night said, as it stands right now, we will let our athletes go. So it was just, that was it. It was done by Sunday night. To me, it was a function of how it was going to happen. And unfortunately, as happens in our world today, we have people who have individual agendas that get in the way. So on Monday, a longtime IOC member from Canada who has a lot of personal reasons that he likes publicity leaked the news. Uh, and it was really wrong because the government of Japan is the one that should really have made the announcement, which they did on Tuesday morning. But the government of Japan spent billions of dollars to, to host these games. They deserve the right to make the announcement which they eventually did. Um, I think the smart, sensible answer, Yog, is that it's going to be in 2021. I assume it will be same time next year. You know, I don't know if it's going to be the exact same dates, but I think within the very same window next year, uh, that will allow everybody to just repeat what they had started, which was their, their normal training schedule to peak in time for late July competition. Um, it's going to create a logistical nightmare, which in our world, as we sit here today, you know, that's, we've kind of said this, you know, everything's on the table right now, right? All options are on the table. And this certainly was, 
the logistical nightmare will be massive. And it will take, I think I've listened to some educated voices that have echoed this. It'll take months to unfurl all of this, realign everything in the Olympic world in its proper place. It will take months. It can get done, but it's going to be incredibly hard. Um, it, there will be changes for athletes, which is where you uh, jump in here. The competitive landscape to me will change. It wasn't going to be right this summer because too many athletes already had their prep interrupted. It was going to be virtually, it was going to be extraordinarily difficult, if not impossible for many of the countries to have their trials to determine which athletes go to the games. So that's really, I think the biggest thing that prompted this to happen now was that the, the road to Tokyo was broken. Um, by the time we go through this next year, with the assumption that the world is back to some semblance of normalcy, the competitive landscape changes because athletes will be a year older. And if you're on the veteran end of that scale, it's a big difference. If you're on the rising end of that scale, big difference means you may not have been ready this year. You could be a lot more ready next year, right? You know the difference. You look, look at what you see with your Elite 11 athletes, right? Totally. The difference from 16 to 17 and 17 to 18, 18 to 19, can be huge, right? Everybody matures at different points. Same thing with these Olympic athletes. So I, I, you know, and these are, that's a little bit of an insider's view of it, but I think it will change the competitive landscape for athletes. And I'm thinking a lot about um, the more veteran athletes, the older athletes for whom going from 31 to 32, or we have a runner. Uh, she lives in San Francisco, uh, Shannon Roberry. She's been a three-time Olympian. She's a middle distance runner, 1500 meters. She's 35 and a mother. She's been to three Olympic games and she's had the, the it's, it's an incredible honor, but it's, it's the finish that nobody wants. The last two Olympic games, 2012 and 2016, she's finished fourth. And that's the, that's the Olympic finish that is just, you know, it's just, I, I've never been there, but I can only begin to imagine how that, that, that leads to the rear view mirror thing. Right? When you finish fourth. Well, anyway, Shannon Roberry has a, I listened to her be interviewed. She has a contract to support her running that ends by the end of this year. So can she get that extended to next year when she'll be 36 to fund her training? It supports her family while she trains to run in these Olympic games. So we have, you know, so many things that need to be um, conquered, but I, you know, you were an athlete. So tell me as an athlete, you want, I, I've sensed this in my time this past week around Olympic athletes. They want the competition. They want the road to, to be right. They want to be going to the games to know that they had their best possible preparation. And the ones I spoke to said, I want to know that my competitors had their best possible preparation. I want to be fair. I don't want to go up there and win a, comp a compromised medal. I want to know that the swimmers I'm swimming against or the divers I'm diving against or the, you know, the, the soccer players I'm going to be on the field with, on the pitch with, have all had the same, they've had their best chance to prepare also. You, you understand that, right? Oh yeah. And to me, where I go on this and, and you've run multiple marathons, I've done one, uh, but I, I know the preparation to get to peak performance, right? Same thing in football. We talk about this all the time on this show of like getting ready to not be your best August 1st, in the first scrimmage of training camp, but August 29th and the first Saturday of the season, right? When do you peak? So I think now athletes like over the course of the last call it two months or so, Training regiments have clearly been altered, to your point. But now, okay, let's just say it's postponed a year. Who's to say the next couple of months aren't going to continue 
to change. And I know when I was playing football, when I was done, Ted, after about a month, I couldn't, my body wasn't ready to play again. Yeah. Right. So you spent the last three plus years training to get ready for your trials. Okay. We get with that. We can't, but when you look at the, the unintended, I don't want to say unintended consequences, because I don't want to be too harsh. Like coronavirus clearly is dramatically serious, but around like the Olympics and what's so serious for those individual athletes, they're training. Like you can only do so many pushups at your house, you know? So now like if it's the next two, three months and now you have, call it an eight month build and you don't even know what the build is. Yeah. I think, I think we're the projections of who would win. I think would would are going to shift based on how people will train, won't train, will be supported, won't be supported as you just referenced with, with the runner and her sponsorship. Yeah. You know, you know, now that, now that the decisions are made, I feel maybe a little more, um, a little freer to talk about this kind of thing because I, where we are, I, I heard a phrase used, um, uh, in a, in a church service about 10 days ago, generosity of community. And it really, it, it stuck. And, and I saw it firsthand where I live here in the, on the peninsula of the Bay Area the last 10 days because the Olympic swimmers from Stanford um, were locked out of their school. And this has been one of the things that really opened my eyes during the initial days of this outbreak was that universities, I mean, Stanford just basically shut everything down and told everybody to leave all of their students, just leave staff, get out. It was um, very jolting, but the Olympic swimmers and their coach got left with nowhere to swim. And so this past eight or nine days I've been involved and, and I've been so amazed at how our community, the local community here around Stanford has opened its doors, institutions, uh, clubs, and individuals have opened their homes and their and their private place spaces to allow these athletes to have some ability to try to continue to train. And the angst and the stress that I saw building with these athletes was was to see it firsthand was really telling. And I know I believe in my heart they this is the outcome they all wanted. They all wanted a postponement because they just knew this was crazy. That you know I'm I'm here and I'm swimming in somebody's backyard pool trying to get a respectable workout in. The Italian swimmers can't get in the water right now. Their country's in such distress that they can't train. Spain can't train because their country is in such distress. So, uh, but, but to see a community rise up, and I'm sure there are many, many, many other stories around this in all walks of life, but it is, it's, it's the thing that gives us hope as a country, which we experienced after 9-11, um, and, and others in our other times in our life, I've been talking to my kids about this other times in our life, you're too young, you know, it was the challenger moments like that, that bond you as a, as a, as a people. I've seen it this past week in, in this Olympic world and everybody's dealing with stress. Everybody is dealing with fear. Everybody's dealing with some semblance of loss, work, job, etc. So this is not to, not to, um, put these Olympic athletes in a different category. It was just seeing it firsthand to me. It, it made me, it just, it just gave me a, 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 the most clear view that I've ever experienced of, of that kind of angst and stress. Yeah. Okay. So let's, I want to ask you a question. I don't know if you'll agree with it. Um, we love the Olympics in our house. You know, my wife was born in Korea. So the last time the winter games were glued to every freaking event that happened, right? You're rocking it right now. Beautiful. Okay. 
I love it. Um, But that being said, numbers, viewership has dropped around the Olympics. There's more things have happened, more things you could do on your phone, highlight base, whatever it's been. Do you feel as though, because I lived in a 9-11 as a football player, game got postponed a week, not a year, and all of a sudden that next game was insane. We saw it in New York with baseball, obviously when that went on. You reference other moments in history um, that, that you've experienced. Do you think now like the Olympics are going to be almost exactly, let's just pretend it's a year from this summer, exactly what the world may collectively need to rally around a sport? As, as someone who's going to have a microphone you know, in, in that space to be able to, I mean, I get the chills just thinking about hearing you talk on that. Well, the, the, I think, you know, the Olympics in our lifetime will, will still have relevance. It's changed. Uh, again, I'm of the, I, I can remember back the first uh, Olympic games. I really remember were Mexico city, 1968. And uh, you know, that was the famous uh, black power salute, fisted glove, you know, John Carlos, Tommy Smith. Um, that was different. Again, but the world was different. You know, we had four channels on our TV then. So without going down that path, the Olympics have tried to change with the times. And when the Tokyo Games are eventually held, wall climbing will be in the Olympics for the first time. Surfing will be in the Olympics for the first time. There is, and I, and I hate the phrase, but I can't think of a better one. So if anyone does, please ping us and let me know. But there is an X Gamesization of the Olympics. And the X Games, to me, are just contrived, made-for-television competitions. It's almost, like, it's almost like Sandlot Olympics. So that's why I don't like that phrase, but I can't think of a better one. The point I'm trying to make, though, is that the Olympics are understanding to get next generations involved. It isn't just... You know, team handball, for example, which is a major sport in European schoolyards. I've seen it all the time. Nobody in America knows what the heck team handball is. So the result is to keep people in all parts of the world glued to the Olympic Games. Uh, they're, they're changing the sports and adding younger, more exciting sports. Um, I, I'm a big believer, having been to the last 11 now that there is still something about the world gathering in one place for two to three weeks in relative peace. Um, that's been, it's been challenged by some of the locales and the events that have gone on around these locales in recent games, uh, going back to Athens in 2004, which was less than a year after we invaded Iraq and the world did not like us. And the Athens Olympic games was actually had as much, if not more, security as the Salt Lake City Games, which were just on the heels of 9-11. I mean, the Athens Olympic Games, we had cement barricades at the front door of our hotel. I had to go in and out of mag and bag every time I walked into my hotel. That's a lot of mag and bag over three weeks, let alone any venue or workspace, workplace. So back to where it comes today. Um, when this happens, I think especially after what the world is going to endure over the next months, when this happens, and I assume it's July of 21, it's going to be a good thing. It's going to be a good thing, a peaceful thing. I don't know what the heck is going to happen in the world. None of us are that smart because that's 15 months away now, almost 16 months, late July 21. Um, and what other world tensions may exist are to be determined. But the games themselves, I really believe it, you know, that they're, they're still something. And the vast majority 
of sports in the Olympic Games and the vast majority of athletes, that is their ultimate goal, to win an Olympic medal. Not for, the, not for basketball, not for golf. Tennis, is, is, to me, has become a little bit of a hybrid because it's not the ultimate goal. But in many nations, if you, are, if you win an Olympic medal, it is a greater achievement than winning Wimbledon. I've seen it where, you know, like uh, there's a 2004 Athens Games, Chilean tennis player won a gold medal and he was given a parade down the main street of Santiago. He was a hero in his country. If he had won Wimbledon, the reaction would have been great, but not that great. There's a, there's a national ism that goes with the Olympic Games. It doesn't necessarily translate to the other professional events. Mm-hmm. So we've seen sports um, schematically copycat league right you know in the nfl college football we see that all the time do you think um and, and not in a disparaging way you know we saw we saw basketball copycat in terms of everybody who's kind of on the same page canceling the tournaments now the olympics clearly postponed you work wimbledon you work the french you know training camps begin you, uh, for this year a few teams start july 26th or at least it's on the calendar how do you feel just as someone who's had a summer and a career built around other sporting events? Like, what do you think is going to happen in the windfall from the postponement of the games? Yeah. The, um, well, there's, I mean, there's just been a lot of stuff that's been thrown, that's been thrown out again because you have a ton of events leading up to the games. I was, uh, there was an Olympic uh, for elected my specific world of diving as a commentator. There was a qualifying event uh, scheduled for mid April in Tokyo at the venue, the Olympic games do this, in most major venues, they have what they call a test event. They basically, it's a dress rehearsal, except the competition counts. So what diving was going, they were going to go to the venue in Tokyo and run through an event as if it was the Olympic Games, except it was actually qualifying for spots in the games themselves. So it's a significant competition. The venue uses it as a in essence, a dress rehearsal for what's going to happen in July. So that's gone. Trials are gone. All the sports have that. So there's just a lot of things that have been thrown out the window again. Um, you know, something else that, and I'm going I'm to just deviate for a second here, Yo, because it affects our Pac-12 conversation. Uh, I was on an interview just a short while ago with Tom Shields, who was a, uh, went to Cal, still trains at Cal, was a great swimmer in the Pac-12, and now an Olympic swimmer, gold medalist. And, and he made the point that I know I've talked about with the Stanford athletes is that if you were an Olympic, you, you were a division one college football player. You had things pretty well planned, did you? Yeah. And you had your yeah. life planned, right? You, you Every knew day. here's the roadmap. I mean, not just day-to-day workouts, but where am I going to go with my life? Okay. If I get drafted, if I get an invite to play pro football, if I don't, this is what I think I'm going to do. Well, you think about people that are coming out of Cal, out of Stanford, um, out of uh, USC. I mean, we have so many Olympic athletes that come out of the PAC schools. A lot of them are very smart, very smart. They have their lives planned and programmed. Some of them have grad school plans, right? Some of them are planning to go back to school. They've taken a year off to train for 2020 and they're planning to go back to school to become a student again in September of 2020. That All those plans have now been altered. And the athletes are going to have to readjust. And I don't know. Some of them may say no. Some of them may say, I'm not going to continue this Olympic pursuit. I'm going to get on with my life if they're in a sport for which there is no professional game. Um, so that, I think, will be something we'll watch uh, over the next, again, six months to see. But uh, 
no, the, uh, you know, the, the next major sporting event and just in our sports world is Wimbledon. That's still the standing for the first two weeks of July, given where uh, Boris Johnson just took England in the last 48 hours. You know, again, it's right now it's hard for any of us to envision anything taking place. And I think we're looking, and I would imagine that both the college football programs and even the NFL are starting to wonder, you know, are we going to be good to go in August? Right. You know, for, for, for camp, for, uh, you know, camps for the college programs and exhibition games for the NFL, which start generally the first week of August. I think right now those are, those are very much open questions. And as we talked about, Yogi football so far has avoided this, but football in, a, in, in terms of a virus is a very vulnerable sport. So the timing of this was actually quite fortunate for football in that they've avoided so far. But once you get 90, 100, 110 football players together in a place, be it summer camp for the college programs or training camp for the pros, you know, a, a viral spread, just the dangers of that become far more significant. Yeah, I think, it's, I think there's so many moving parts, obviously, just because every day the, move, the, the world's moving. And hopefully we can flatten this thing and get it under control. But with that being said, if we're going to talk about college football, I think there's a few things you have to talk about. Of course, like health and wellness of the student athlete. But then you get past that and academically, some kids needed certain grades to be eligible for the fall. Will they do that? For freshmen who are mid-year enrollees, what has that experience been like for them? They're basically on campus for maybe a week, maybe two weeks, some for a month. Um, I think I believe everybody other than Stanford takes mid-year enrollees. So the academic side is one that I think about. And of course, they have all the support, but you know, it, it'll be interesting you know, to, to see how that plays out. Schematically, I was on a show yesterday about it of like, let's take a team who I would pick to win the South. I would pick USC right now based on the players coming back. But they didn't get a spring to install a defense. They, they're a veteran. They're not like Utah. Utah has the same system, no experience. But so, so then, you know, do you waver? Do you say, well, at least guys know the language at Utah versus USC. They know how to play because they've played. So that part of it from a schematic standpoint and then the development of the body. You know, I was with JT Daniels right before this thing kind of hit. I was in a class speaking at SC and he looked totally different. I mean, his joy was back. His mindset was right. His body changed. That's good to hear. So many things that we'll dive into. And I think we could do like a team per episode as we get going here and, you know, in this time. Um, but now what happens with, with that and the training around it and even the opportunity to win a job back. So I, I just think there's a lot of dynamics there. And then from a coach, we know how they think, which is, you know, we talk, I steal your phrase every single game, which is unforced errors. So now you're just playing safe. So then you look at it and say, well, UW has a fullback. Now granted they haven't practiced necessarily with one yet, but that's in the system. ASU has it. They've been, they've had elements of pro style stuff. Stanford, right? Like you look at some of these teams that not necessarily need to have a quote unquote fullback, but like run the ball, play good defense, don't turn it over, be veteran and win the first couple games. Even if they start late September, 21 to 10. Like, I, I think there's, you know, you got to shift philosophically. Like, I don't think it's right to say, screw it. We're throwing 50 times a game. This is just what we do. Like, when you haven't wrecked and you haven't prepared your defense doesn't know the scheme and a couple three and outs puts you on your heels and it's a different ball yeah. game. So 
I think there's a lot of conversations that head coaches I'm sure are having with their coordinators now around like, and how are we even teaching right now via zoom or however they're doing, you know, certain optional meetings that they're having with their players. Right. So here, as you, as you said that yoga, I'm thinking about, okay, Washington state where Rolo takes over. And I don't even know who the, do you know who the quarterback's going to be, but you're going to have a slightly no. different, slightly different than what Leach ran up there. Yep. And then you have Colorado, which has a new head coach and Carl Durrell, but he kept Darren Shiverini, right? So in theory, same system, I would assume, right? Probably some tweaks, but... Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean... It... And, and then Cal, who's the other one. The first one that jumped in my mind, I'll finish, say for last, is Cal. Yeah. I mean, you talk about a program finishing this way, right? Chase Garber's coming back. You know, good. You know, we know Justin Wilcox is in a great place, but new offensive coordinator. Totally new system. New Completely system, new right? language. So there's, there's, to me, the wild card to what you're talking about. It's a great point. And you look at, like, okay, at least Cal got a little practice in. Stanford got a little practice in. Arizona State. I, I, look at, I have a schedule where I kind of predict the games, just so it's always next to my desk. And it's based on just, you know, my thoughts. And I have them at least winning nine games next year. And ASU. they got wow. ASU. And they got through almost all of their – I mean, yes. we should have been doing their spring game this weekend, the 28th was their spring showcase or whatever you want to call it. So they got the most out of anybody, right? They got through half of spring ball and then went on spring break. So at least some of these teams like UCLA started, Oregon started, Oregon State had one or two practices. SC had one practice. Wazoo, I don't believe, got a practice in. Um, Colorado hadn't got a practice in. Utah got a couple in. Arizona got one or two in. Yeah. I'll tell you what I think, Yo, here. As you say that, I went through in a different sport – 1995, so it's 25 years ago now, Major League Baseball, massive strike, long strike, wiped out the end of the previous season, went all the way into spring training of 1995. We did a full spring training with replacement players. It was the most atrocious thing I've experienced in professional sports. It was just awful. You know, it was basically having your UPS driver and and your dry cleaner and two waiters from your local uh, sushi restaurant, and, and they were all playing ball. Anyway, when they finally settled the strike, now the real players come back and say, we need to have <laughs> a spring training. So they did an accelerated spring training in late April of just 14 or 17 days. I forget the exact difference. Started the season and it was about eight, it was 18 games less. It wasn't, it was 144 game season. My point was it was completely out of whack. It was baseball, all sports, is the one that's most driven by a daily regimen. 162 games, you have to be. Everybody in the sport understood this one year was going to be different. 1995 was different. So 2020 for football, I think, will be the same. Uh, Right now, much more so for college because spring ball was interrupted. The NFL hasn't faced it yet, but I think they will because they're not going to have – I can't fathom they're going to have mini camps – in OTAs that just doesn't seem that way. Anyway, for the college game, maybe the answer is going to be this, hey, we're going to come back, assuming that we get a green light somewhere in the summertime, and say, okay, you can bring everybody back. Everybody gets the same number, 15 full-on practice, whatever the number is, from July 23rd through August 15th, whatever the dates are, everybody. So it's it's a screwed-up season from the norm, but it's everybody's on the same playing field. Does that something like that make sense? Yeah. So, all right, I'm, let, let's talk about this. What do you think is better? Um, let's just say they, to, to your point, did that. 
and said you're only playing conference games. So the Pac-12 then does not play Alabama, Ohio State, or Michigan. So you said a nine-game season, you're saying? Well, nine for us. Would it be eight for other conferences? Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I wonder if there's something like that. Um, a, if it would remind the country how difficult it is for a nine-conference game schedule, mm-hmm. right? If they would say, hey, you know, you're not going to a road game off. I, I don't know. There, there's a bunch of elements where we could dive into and nerd out on. But overall, generally speaking, like, do you take away basically, you know, September to a certain degree? Or you take away some of these nine-conference games, including Notre Dame. Right? Do you, t- you take some of those away, so then you just play your conferences and the best four teams. We we find our way into a playoff. Like I, I wonder if there's if there's something there around that. And, and the flip side would say, no, no, take away conference games and then let teams get an Eastern Washington. You know, some of these you know non-conference games that are relative tune-ups to a conference schedule, so they can get some of that competitiveness uh, and kinks in the armor out prior to rolling with an abbreviated schedule. Yeah, that's it. I hadn't thought about that. A, c- a condensed season. Yeah. I, you know, again, we get then as everything in sport does, it comes back to money. Yeah. You have a massive amount of money and it's both ends, right? It's the, it's the, the schools that in other parts of the country generally they put 80,000 people in to play, you know, slapstick state university. Uh, but it's also slapstick state university cashing in a million eight for playing that game, it helps fund their other sports programs. We know that equation. So it's a, uh, it's a mixed bag, but I, I just, I said this, I think uh, in regards to tennis a couple or maybe a week or so ago, I just think whenever we come back uh, into the world in, in a sports narrow world here now, the calendar's thrown out the window, yeah. everything for the rest of 2020 and it may bleed into 2021 is going to be outside the norm. And I think, one of the things that will really happen is we will try collectively, we will try to cram as much as many events in to a condensed period as possible. You know, it's the great annual sporting events that have all been disrupted, like the masters, the Boston marathon, the Kentucky Derby. Um, and it's going to translate now into, if it becomes the, the PGA, well, the PGA championship here in San Francisco has already been put off. It'll be the U S open golf. It could then bleed in. It could bleed all the way through the summer it could bleed to the U S open tennis, which uh, goes over the beginning of football season. Who knows? So I just think we all are going to have to accept. And it's kind of like that one baseball season that I went through where, okay, this season's just going to be different. Everybody get over it. It's better than where we've been. Totally. It's better than where we've been. And, and the point from the competitive angle is back to our Olympic conversation, just have it be the same for everybody. If it's the same for everybody, then that's the basis of competition, right? It's level playing field. So, yeah, I love it. Okay. All right. So let's, uh, I love this segment that we're doing where we pull back from the archives and tell a story about something from pac eight, pac 10, pac 12 history. Um, it's on your YouTube channel. So to make sure you subscribe, the links will be in the show notes on this, whoever you listen to it on iTunes or your podcast, or if you're watching this on YouTube, make sure you click on it and check it out. We're bringing in other people. We got Ashley's, she's up there, Ashley Adamson, our coworker. She's got a great story, Teddy, you're going to love. Um, so uh, I've got mine. I'm excited for it. Um, you want to go first? No, you go um, ahead. Okay, cool. So mine, I'm sticking with the Olympic theme. And it, it came to me when, uh, when we're having this conversation. So I get the honor every year to host the Pac-12 Hall of Honor, which is 
for lack of a better term, the Hall of Fame for the Pac-12. It used to be just men's basketball. A couple of years ago, they expanded it to all sports. And when they expanded to all sports, it became really special. And for the guy hosting it as a sports nerd, it was amazing. And what happens is the event is about like from four to five o'clock. And then you go over and you go to the game and everybody celebrates. But the pre-event is when I really do a lot of my work. And I go around to every person who's getting inducted and I spend 10 to 12, 15 minutes with them. Sometimes you get a longer period of time. Dick Fosbury is my guy that I want to talk about who I know you love. Dick Fosbury, who I had no clue was, I knew the name, I knew the Fosbury flop, but I did not know the history or the story. And I don't, I don't know all of it now. But when I got to sit next to him, when he got inducted into the Pacto Hall of Honor, I simply asked him, Dick, back in the day, high jumping used to be something that you jumped basically headfirst. Like it wasn't the way that he did it. You kind of jump and you'd leap. Like imagine your grandkids or Zane, like, or your kids at home jumping over like the couch and they're just jumping into it. Well, he flipped it and I asked him, hey, how did that happen? He goes, well, one day I just decided to try something different. And he jumped up and he did the little scissor kick and he landed on his back. Yeah. He jumped up, did the scissor kick, landed on his back and he kept going up. And it was another foot, another foot, another six inches, another three inches. And all of a sudden this guy rewrote a sport. And when I sat there in Las Vegas and I looked him in the eye and I just said, Mr. Fosbury, like what, what made you try something that you'd never seen before? And he simply stared at me and he goes, well, I had to be fearless and I had to try something new. And how many times have you and I talked over the course of the last month where we said, you know what, be fearless, but not reckless. So I didn't intend to tell this story based on COVID-19 and everything going on, but Dick Fosbury and sports, again, what a great illustration of life reminded me try something new whether that's me teaching a five-year-old preschool every day or being with your grandkids or a new lifestyle all across the united states and the world or having to be in our homes for the majority of days um try something new because it might be magic and that's what dick fosbury reminded me of today from a story he told me years ago that's great i'm laughing as a go beads by the way fosbury but what i remember is as a kid in gym class when that happened and that, you know, as kids, you're in gym class and, and we would all try to do the same thing. And of course we were doing it. Well, in my case, I was, I was not in, in the same shape I am in as an adult. So for me, the, the bar was about a foot, three inches. And then if I made it over that, we get up half an inch, half an inch. And you're talking about a foot, a foot, a foot. But that's, that's funny. Cause when I remember when he came to Las Vegas for that honor, and I said hello to him. I'd never met him either. But, you know, my generation, that was a big, the Foster flop was a big deal. This is something totally different. Okay, Yogi, where were you November 2005? I was my first, no, I was broadcasting. The, yeah, first year at USC. Yes, you coach. were. Yeah, that's yes, right. Yes, you were. November. So, I thought we might have been in South uh, Bend somewhere so, in November. No, the first Saturday of November in 2005, we were both at the Collie in Los Angeles, and I was broadcasting for Stanford. Oh, I know this story. Just, which had just been taken over. Well, I'm not sure if you know this one. Just been taken over by the man that Yogi made famous, Walt Harris, who Yogi played for at Pitt, was in his first year as the Stanford head coach. Had Yogi and this other Fitzgerald guy not been so good, Walt <laughs> had never been a BCS coach and gotten the Stanford job. Anyway, so Stanford is at 
USC this night. And this is USC. This is USC. Halftime, it's 44 to 7. So I step out of the booth. I'm doing Stanford radio. And I step out of the booth at halftime to go to the men's room. And the booth next to me was the Stanford administrating booth. And the acting athletic director for Stanford during that football season was Bill Walsh. Stanford was in the process of changing athletic directors and there was a football season without. So Bill, who was in the end of his life, sadly, but this was his last job and he was the interim athletic director um, who ultimately got, was involved in hiring Jim Harbaugh when Walt's tenure ended at Stanford. So Bill Walsh steps out and, and I just look at him and he goes, can you believe that? He goes, Every one of their offensive players is an NFL player. So we may have two NFL players on our entire team. <laughs> and every one of their – and this was Leinert, Bush, Lendale White, Steve Smith, and, of course, a defense, Clay Matthews, Ray Mauluga, uh, uh, Frosty Rucker. Um, I'm blanking, and there's probably two or three more. I mean, just studs at all these positions. And I remember Bill just shook his head. So then the conversation over the next two minutes extended to, because we knew what was going to happen at that point. It looked like USC was going to play Texas, right? So I remember I asked Bill, so, you know, what do you think of Vince Young? And he goes, oh, it'll be hard. Yeah, I mean, as good as USC is, this will be hard and I, for the USC, which turned out to be a great game. And I said, what about the pros? And he goes, no. So really, he goes, you have to understand. He said, in the NFL, he said, the safeties are just as big as Vince Young, and they're faster, the safeties. He said, you can't pull that off. He said, in college, he's bigger and faster than a lot of the defenders. In the NFL, the safeties, and it turned out to be pressure, um, which to this day, I remember that was 15 years ago. And by the way, it was the last conversation I ever had with Bill. Bill um, took ill, and really took ill and passed away probably a year or so after this game. But uh, I always remember that for those two things and how smart he was that now 15 years later, we're watching the, the latest incarnation of a Vince Young style, which is Lamar Jackson, right, in the NFL and trying to see if he can sustain success because no one's done it in that style. So, um, you know, Bill Walsh, who was, is still is amazing. He only coached five years at Stanford, two years his first time, three years when he came back. But he is so ingrained in the, in the fabric of Stanford football, which is a historic traditional football program that, uh, that I'm, I'm so thrilled because I had other times to be around it. But that was, I just remember that because it was the last conversation and he was so right to the point. Wow. And that you were nice. there, Yogi. You I were there. there. I, I, I wish. 24 I... to 7, do you remember? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Because I remember talking to Walt in pregame. Yeah. And he said, I didn't know you wanted a coach. If you did, I would have brought you to Stanford. <laughs> <laughs> and here I was making about $15,000 sleeping in the office. But my oh, friend, my friend, Todd, my friend, Todd Husak, who's uh, gone on to great success in the real estate business, but still does the radio for Stan for Stanford. Uh, Todd was on that staff as a GA and he was not making 15,000. That's why he left. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Oh, I love that. That's, a, that's an amazing story. That'll be clipped off. Check it out on uh, Ted's YouTube channel. Um, Ted, I want to I end it with a little audible. Um, what are you doing right now? If we could each give a nugget, like, wh or what have you done over the course of this time at home that may be new to your life that's brought you some joy? Huh. Uh, well, I've spent a lot of time with our grandkids, which has been a good thing. Uh, new... 
is probably, well, I'm helping my incredible wife help. We're cleaning, we're deep cleaning our house room by room. She's the leader on that for smart reasons, but um, that's given where we are. We have a third grandchild coming this summer. That's a smart thing. Um, what I'm trying to do, and I, I've been reading a ton, working out actually really well. Um, but what I'm trying to do is get back on the piano. And I'm, I've, been, I've been doing it fits and starts. I was a pretty enthusiastic piano player in my teens, 20s, into my early 30s. And then parenthood came along and I got derailed. And so now I'm trying to get back into a better regimen of sitting down every day. That's what you have to do. You just have to sit down every day. I met Bruce Hornsby once. I met him a few times, but the first time I met him uh, was 20 or so years ago at a base, in a baseball clubhouse. And, and I had some sheet music of his that I was using. And, and he, I just basically said, you know, anything, man, tell me. I mean, I'll never be you, but just give me some idea. And he said, I'll give you one word three times. Practice, practice, practice. True <laughs> story. It's exactly what he said. That's awesome. Um, so anyway, so I'm, I'm trying to do it. How about you? So uh, I saw this on somebody's Instagram post where it was like, you know what? Uh, it was a guy who played football at Wisconsin. And he said, you know, call a teammate. And it inspired me to call my old teammates. That's good. And I've been recording it. So uh, I recorded one with a guy who you probably know the name, Lusaka Polite, who mm. played about a decade in the league as a fullback, undrafted out of pit, and went to Parcells with the Cowboys, Patriots with Belichick, Miami um, uh, with Parcells again, went to the Bears with Lovey Smith. Uh, just some really good head coaches. And now he's running basically the mentorship program at Pitt for student athletes to place them in jobs. And it, it, it was amazing. And I'm going to try to do one a week and record it and put them on my podcast of just smart. Yeah. catching up. And there's no agenda on the conversation. We're literally just catching up and talking about what it was like being teammates. And this is a guy who, when I was a walk-on and just trying to figure it out, he was a four-year starter, the only three-time captain in Pitt football history. And he was... He was just a guy I looked up to so much and just telling him things like that, that I've never told him. It was, it was really, it was, it was really fun selfishly. Like, man, I felt really good after that of just connecting to somebody who had a huge part of my life and I'm going to, I'm going to do it. I'm going to commit to once a week. Calling Amen. Good for you. That's who you are. And, and social contact right now. Cause I am, you've heard me talk about this. I am massive on this point as I really believe that we're going to face a significant mental health challenge. And I just hope all the governments, both federal and local, put our resources that we have. We have incredible resources at hand for mental health care. And we put that out here in the next. And I, I've been doing that actually with both relatives and uh, longtime friends of mine, because I'm in the target age bracket for this virus. So I've been reaching out in that regard as more of a, um, what's the word, a collegial uh, you know, sympathetic thing about, hey, we're all in this thing together because we're the ones right now that a lot of people are doing this. We're getting the Heisman from a lot of people. When I go to the store, they see, okay, here comes the OG. And they give you, they give you one of those. So I've been doing that a little bit. But the, but the, but the, the impetus to make that communication and contact, good job, yo. Cool. Thanks, bro. All right. I love you. We'll be back next week. And we'll keep uh, we'll keep diving in here on the Ted Yogi's Pac-12 Adventure. Again, subscribe to the YouTube channel. Uh, you can get our stories, the archives, the full podcast, wherever you listen to it. Subscribe, rate, review, and uh, let us know what you want to hear about. We got time. If there's one thing we got, Ted. <laughs> we got time. All right. 
Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.